Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Good to see you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5. We're in the final week in Galatians 5. It's so excited to, to continue this series on gospel transformation. And I think this, this, this morning's sermon is going to be just an amazing look at how we do that. Um, when I was in school, I'm not sure if you can remember your favorite classes in school, but my favorite classes were always either history or math. And some of you are like, you are just weird, Ben. I mean, you like history and math. I loved history and math. I loved history class. I loved learning the stories of history, especially American history. And I, and I just was always good at math. I enjoyed math. And you're like, yeah, you're weird. And, and so, but one of those classes I didn't like, and you all had those classes where we don't like going to school and, 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 and sitting there. But the one class I never liked was science class. Science class was the one class I just never enjoyed. In fact, the worst grades I ever got in my report card were always the science classes. Until my junior and senior year. And my junior and senior year is when I took both chemistry and physics. And I realized I loved chemistry and physics. And you know why I loved chemistry and physics? It's because those are the two science classes that have math. It's because they had these equations. And I remember what I loved about the classes I took in, in high school is we had a really good teacher, and we would study the, the lessons all week long. We'd study the theory of, of, the, of the, in chemistry, the chemical compounds, all those kinds of things. But every Friday was our lab. And we would get to take our time and talk about the theory of what we were learning, the equations of what we were learning, and then Friday we get to apply it and see how it works. And we you know those big black tables with the, with the you know, fires and all this kind of And it was always those things that I enjoyed looking forward to, putting into practice the things we had learned that week. And what I feel when I talk about you know, life transformation, you know, Paul has been on this, the, writing this letter to the churches in Galatia, attacking the false doctrine that people were, that the Judaizers were bringing and saying, listen, if you really want to obey God, if you really want to be the people of God, you've got to obey the law. It's not just about Jesus, it's about Jesus and the law. And so Paul writes this letter and says, no, it's about the gospel alone. But then he, he continues on in his letter to talk about how we are transformed. And we're in this part of the letter of Galatians right now where he's introducing this idea that it is the spirit of God that changes us. And so every week we've been looking at these things about how, apart from the Spirit, we're not going to change. And that we've got this enemy inside of us called the flesh that, that wants what, that doesn't want what God wants. And so this, if we satisfy the desires of the flesh, we're not satisfying the desires of the Spirit. And then we looked at both the, the desires of the flesh and we also looked at the fruit of the Spirit to understand we know what they are, that we can't fool ourselves in thinking that, that we're going to live a certain way and call it that Spirit-filled living. And so we're going to continue on in the in end of chapter 5 here where Paul kind of concludes this argument about the power that the Spirit has to change us. We just sang a song about that power. And here's what I, I don't know if you feel this, but here's what I feel a lot of times. And this is what I felt growing up going to church, that I come in here and the pastor gets up or whoever gets up and preaches the word of God about the power of God, about the reality of the gospel, about the spirit of God living inside of us to change us. And I would sit there and I'd be like, that's a nice theory. That's, a, that's an interesting theory. Because I knew my own life that what, when we talked about God in here, it seemed to make sense to me. But then I would go live out my life and I would continue to struggle and fail and fall in so many ways. I'm not sure if that's how you feel this morning. That there's, you know, we talk about gospel transformation and this idea that God can change our lives. 
And you might be sitting in here this morning saying, yeah, I, I hear it. I feel like we're in theory class. I feel like we're in the class where you're teaching me the equations, but I've never been able to have that lab where it works, where I see it work. And what I want us to do today is I want us to look at this passage because Paul gives us some really powerful instructions about what it really is going to require for us to see this transformation in our lives. That if we're really going to change, it's got to be more than theory. That we're going to go out there and yes, we're going to struggle. There's going to be times in our life where we succeed. There's going to be times in here where we struggle. But, but the reality is God has given us these promises and that change is actually possible for you if you are in Christ. But these changes don't happen easily. And they don't happen automatically. And there's, I, I, when I look at this passage, verse 24, 25, and 26 of, of chapter 5, what I see are three shifts that we've got to make in our own lives if we want transformation to be a reality. If we want transformation to be true in our lives, if we want the Holy Spirit to change what is, what is potential to possible, then there's these three shifts that we've got to make that we find in the text this morning. And so the main idea I want to leave you with this morning is that the Holy Spirit transforms the potential to the possible. The Holy Spirit transforms the potential to the possible. Listen, if you've come to church and, you, and you're hearing this, and you've heard this, the scriptures taught to you over time, you understand that, yes, the Spirit of God is, is working inside of us. We've been talking about this the last few weeks and how he is constantly changing us into the image of Jesus. But again, it's like, how, how does that happen? And that word potential is something that I think can either be really, you know, when we use the word potential in our vernacular today, it's either in a very positive way or sometimes it can be in a negative way. Let me, let me explain. For example, you have before you a, a job opportunity, right? And, and you're in your current job, but there's a job opportunity in front of you. And you look at this job opportunity in front of you and you, and you talk about it with your spouse or, or with your family or with your friends and you say, Man, this job, if I take this job, the potential of how this is going to improve my, my abilities, the potential for me to, to make more money, or the potential for me to use my gifts and abilities in greater ways, it's there. It's got this great potential. And many times when we look at that word potential, it's, there's this optimism. It's the possibility. It's this idea of, hey, th something better could take place right here, right now in my life. But sometimes we talk about potential in a negative way. For example, we, we talk about sometimes we do this with sports athletes. We, we, we see someone come into the league, pick number one or two in the, in the draft, and, and they have kind of a, just a career that's mediocre. Maybe they got caught up with drugs, or maybe it's attitude, or, or maybe it's just with their network of players around them. They just never were able to meet their potential. When that person retires or gets out of the, their league, they people are like, they had so much potential. You see, potential is that word that can be, feel very like heavy on us and we just didn't meet up to our potential. Or it can be this, man, what's ahead of us? And, and what I want you guys to understand is that the Holy Spirit was given to all of us so that we might have that, that potential, turn the potential into reality, into the possible. And that's why he's given to us. And so Paul gives us these instructions this morning. And so these three shifts that we see here verse, in verse 24, 25, and 26 is a shift in our thinking, a shift in our wills, and a shift in our hearts. A shift in our mind, a shift in our will, and a shift in our hearts. So let's look at our, the first verse in verse 24. It says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, with its passions 
and desires. Now remember, we're reading this out of in the context of he begins in verse 16. It says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh because the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit. And so there's this conflict. And then he talks about the desires of the flesh look like this. The fruit of the Spirit looks like this. And then he ends this thought with, and, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, when you read that pass, when you read that verse, those who belong to Christ, so he's talking about people who received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, those who belong, who are in Christ. Remember, in Christ is a phrase that we see throughout this letter. Those who are in Christ have crucified, that's, that's a pretty heady term. Think about how they used that term in, in 2,000 years ago. That was a vivid image, that, the, that those who are in Christ have crucified its flesh with its desires and passions. Now, first time I read that, and you might be hearing that, what are you thinking? Well, my flesh ain't crucified. Like, I, th- what I'm living, what I'm feeling... I don't understand what Paul is saying here because when he's just talking about the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit and they're against each other. And so how is it that if, if this is true, those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with his desires and passions, Ben, why do I still struggle with the flesh? How is this still possible? Why is it that I, I walk out of this room every single week with this anticipation, with this understanding of my potential to live righteously and then I keep falling and I keep failing and I keep struggling. Why is that? That's a good question. And what Paul is saying here, he's, he's declaring in the indicative, he's declaring, making this declaration that the reality of our salvation in Christ has accomplished something for us that is beyond our wildest imagination. Okay, so for most of us, when we come into a church service, remember or the, maybe the history of us coming into contact with, with the Bible and the story of Jesus, primarily we tend to think of, I, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He came to earth, he lived a perfect sinless life so that he might win, you know, win humanity back to himself. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took my sin, he took my shame, and he paid the penalty. He was my substitute on the cross for what I deserved. And he received the wrath of God. And instead, he, now, when I put my faith and trust in him, when after he rose from the dead, I can now, he can now give me his righteousness. Now, that is true, and that is the gospel. But there's something else that Paul is making known throughout a lot of his letters, and that is this idea that we don't just, when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's not like we just get this ticket to heaven and say, all right, that's it, you're done. You're, you're taken care of that there's something transformative that God does in our lives at the moment of salvation. And that transforming moment is that he makes us new creations in Christ. That, that when we are in Christ Jesus, we are, all things are made new. So we are this new creation. And Paul talks about this earlier in Galatians chapter 2. Look, just, pre, just go back with me to Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. It says this, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have, crucified, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. There's something else going on that Christ accomplishes for us. Does he give us his righteousness? Absolutely. 
Does he, does he give us the promise of the, of the inheritance of eternal life with him in heaven? Yes, absolutely. But God does something else at the moment of salvation in us. He transforms our lives. So now all of a sudden, we're not the same person. What, what, what Paul is saying here is that if we are in Christ, that flesh that we once had, it no longer has the power to dictate to you what to do. And what that means is this, that you can now in Christ say no to sin every single time it shows up. Every single time you're tempted, every single time there's a desire that pops up and you're saying, no, that's against the desires of God. You have the capability and the power to say, no, I'm not doing that. If you are not in Christ Jesus, you are still bound to the flesh. You're still bound to sin. That yes, you might make choices every once and again towards the good, towards God, but you're, you're, just, you're still a slave to sin. There's so many times throughout the Bible that, that Paul mentions this, gives this idea of putting to death our flesh and, our, and this death leading to us choosing to live this new life. I'm going to show these passages of Scripture too. The first one's in, in Romans chapter 6, and this, these passages will be on the screen. But Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, is really a great chunk of Scripture that talks about this. I'm going to read this for us this morning. But it says in, in Romans chapter 6, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So there is this, see this mindset shift that Paul's talking about. You've got to see your life differently. You've got to see God differently. You've got to see yourself differently. You've got to see the sin around you differently. You've got to change your mindset from being saying, I'm, I'm bound to this, I'm a slave to this. My experience tells me a story. No, you've got to change the narrative in your mind. Your story, your experience might tell you a story, but the word of God is telling you a different story, a better story, a story of new life, a story of power, a story of potential. And that's what God's telling us. There's one more passage I want you to see this in, and it's in the book of Colossians. Turn in Colossians chapter 3, and we'll, again, we'll have these verses on the screen. But Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, this is again where he's talking about this idea. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. What Paul's saying is you've got to change your thinking. So you might walk in this room this morning and saying, Ben, uh, when I look at my life, there's this one thing. Okay, what's that one thing in your life? What's that one thing in your life that you can't imagine it, it not being there because it's been a part of your life for so long? What is that one sin? What is that one failure? 
What is that one thing in your life that you feel like, man, if everyone knew that this was my struggle, if everyone knew this was my addiction, if everyone knew this was, this was my stumbling block in life, right? We all walk in here with that one thing right now. Maybe there's a couple other minor things, but it's that one thing that we're saying, I just feel beaten by this. And maybe you this morning, you walk in here, you feel beaten. You feel discouraged. You look at the narrative of your story and your, the narrative of your story by your experience has been sin in the flesh keep winning. And yeah, I, you're telling me that, that in Christ, that this flesh has been crucified, but why does it feel so powerful? And I believe one of the biggest changes that we can make to change us, and this is, this is something I had to do. I remember sitting there feeling overwhelmed by my sin, saying, God, if, if this is true, why am I not, why am I not succeeding why do I keep stumbling? Why do I keep failing? And, I, and what we've got to remember is there's a shift in our minds that we've got to take place that says this. Well, if Christ is indwelling in me and I have the spirit of God indwelling in me, what that means is I now have this power to say no every single time. Paul says it right there. Since you have died, put to death. See, this mindset shift changes our thinking many times when it comes to how we look at sin, how we look at our own lives, how we look at our, our experiences. We tend to have this idea of, man, it's, it's big, it's bad, it's scary, and we approach sin and we approach our flesh very fearfully. Like we're afraid of ourselves. Like we don't, I don't trust myself to make the right decision because of things I've done in my past. That is a lie. You believing a lie that your sin is more powerful than the power of Jesus working inside of you. And that is a mindset shift you've got to make. I remember in high school, uh, I played basketball for a small Christian high school up in Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, when I moved down here, especially in bigger cities, private Christian schools, they recruit, and, and it's not necessarily, just because it says it's a Christian school doesn't necessarily mean it's a Christian school. And so when I say well, I went to a small Christian school, I went to a small Christian school, okay? I had 10 people in my graduating class. That's how small it was. And uh, there was no recruiting going on. And uh, we had the, the dorkiest name for a Christian high school in the history of all Christian high schools. You ready for this? The Baptist High School. We were so proud. And, uh, you know, so, so this is where I went to high school. And, and uh, I remember one year our basketball coach uh, decided to, to schedule a kind of one of these. It, wasn't a, it was more than a scribbage. It was, it was an exhibition. So it was a game that we both played, both schools played, but it didn't count for anything. He scheduled us to play a public school in our area. He scheduled us to play Lackawanna Trail. And Lackawanna Trail wasn't the biggest high school, but it was a fairly, I mean, a lot bigger than our, you know, 70 kids in high school, uh, you know, or, or 70 kids in middle school and high school. And we were a small school. But he, he, he said, you know what, you guys are your, your, your quality team, and I think we can play with these guys. And we're just like, okay, coach. And so we, get, we go to Lackawanna Trail to play this game, and it's just, you know, our, our Christian school was so conservative, they wouldn't let us warm up to Stephen Curtis Chapman, okay? Like, that's... That was, that was my reality, okay? We tried, to, we tried to slip in a Stephen Curtis Chapman tape one time for one of them, and the person was like, you know, devil music. And so we went, we, went to this, we went to this public high school, Lackawanna Trail, and it's just like, it's guns and roses. Da, 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 welcome to the jungle. And we were just like, I mean, we were enjoying it at the time, but 
I mean, they're just blaring the music. It is so loud in there. I remember talking to my coach. I mean, he is yelling. He's, he's this far from my face, yelling at us the instructions of what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, it was a hostile crowd. I'm sure they're like, the Baptist boys are coming in and we're going to wipe the floor with them. And it was just a very overwhelming experience. And we walk in there and it's loud and it's crazy. And, and I remember the first, the, first, the first quarter of that game was just a nightmare for us. And, we, were, and we, just, we were in shock. We were not ready for this. At the end of the first quarter, it was 23 to 3. It was not good. And I remember after that first quarter, we're sitting down. It's still loud. It's still going crazy. These people think this is going to be the greatest fun game of their life. And I remember our coach sitting us down, and he was a little mad. He said, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe you guys aren't ready for this. Maybe we should just pack up and go home right now. And there was something inside of us that was like, no, we can play with these guys. Remember, we were down 23 to 3. For the rest of the game, we, at the end of that game, the final score was 67 to 47. I remember the rest of that game. Because in that moment, we said, no, wait, wait a second. We don't, our eyes are on the crowd, the guns and roses, the, you know, it, it was a new environment. And we just forgot, let's just play, we know how to play basketball. Let's just play basketball with these guys. And we did. And I think for, for some of us, we walk into the, the arena of life and we've got the temptations and we've got the internet and we've got my friends and I've got my work environment. And I've got, you know, the world and, and President Biden and, and all these things coming after us and these things that we don't like. In our, and we have all these excuses of like, oh, this is why I'm shrinking and melting. And we forget that we have the power of the resurrection inside of us. And listen, let me just tell you something. For our team, we were able to stay with them for three quarters. After, the, after that first quarter. But I will tell you this, you have a greater power inside of you. You have the power that rose Jesus from the dead working inside of you if you are a follower of Jesus. Stop living scared. Stop looking at the problems and the sin in your own life, the addictions. You, I don't care if you've had addictions for decades. The potential of the power that's living inside of you, it cannot, it cannot overcome the power of Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to live in. We need to shift our thinking to start taking sin seriously. Stop playing scared. Stop living in fear. Start taking sin seriously and say, you know what? I'm done having this issue in my life. I'm not just gonna, you know, again, many times the mind shift is we just say, hey, this is just who I am. This is just gonna be my issue in life that I'm gonna struggle with. No, 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 that's not the mindset that God wants you to have. Shift your thinking and say, I'm done having this one thing in my life. And I believe God can help me overcome it. There's a second thing we see here, the second shift we need to make. It's in verse 25. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The second shift we need to make is a shift in our will. The shift in our will happens when we understand that there's what Paul's saying here is, is that there's, there's something that has to be done inside of us to really unlock this potential to make it possible. This is if we live, again, this is a, if you look at the if, this is, a, this is a conditional clause. It's a third class conditional clause in the Greek, which means this, that this is not a hypothetical. This is saying, this is the potential, this is the possibility. If conditions are met, then this thing will happen, okay? So it's a very optimistic view. 
It's, it's that kind of clause. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. But what's the right condition? The right condition is this. We've got to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, look back with me in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. So what is the difference between the word walk in verse 16 and keeping in step with the Spirit here in verse 20, 25? What's the difference? There's two, it's two different Greek words. The first word, walk, peripateo in the Greek, is this idea that I'm walking along. It's like this journey through life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's this relationship with the Spirit that I have, that, that we're partnering together in life. But this word, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It's a different Greek word. It's a word that it refers back to people that march in, in order, that people are, are keeping in step with the, the marching orders ahead of them. So it literally means I'm going to take the same steps that you're taking. There's this idea, and, and this word is it's in military term many times. If you think about how they would fight battles in the open field in those days, you had to, there was a, there, there was a synchronicity to their marching and to their keeping in step to their battle plans. When they walked out on that field, you need to make sure that you are marching exactly where you were going. When we see people march today, it's basically for show. You see those military parades, people marching. It's just kind of impressive to see every people like walking in step. But, but in these days, if you didn't keep in step with your marching orders on the battlefield, if one person didn't march the way they were supposed to, they were, the entire battle plan was open to the weak, weak link of being defeated. They needed to make sure they were kept in step with the person next to them to make sure that their, their battle plan of moving forward in the field of battle was there's no weak links. And Paul is using this as saying, we've got to make sure that when we're walking, we're not just walking with the Spirit, we're keeping in step with the Spirit. We're marching according to His orders. The word that comes to mind, how do we shift our will? The one word that encompasses what verse 25 is all about is the word submission submission. The shift in our will needs to be this. I'm not going to do what I want to do and then ask God to bless it. You know, submission is like a four-letter word in our culture today, isn't it? Like, like, hey, you've got to submit. Oh, no, I don't. I'm an American. You know, don't, no one tells me what to submit to. And, and there's this idea that submission is this bad thing in our lives. Listen, submission is one of the ways that we learn how to follow Christ. There, there, is, there is no relationship with God if there's no submission. That, that God, that Jesus is Lord. And what Jesus wants is more important than what you want. And the spirits, remember we talked about this last week, that God's vision for your life is better than what you have a vision for your life. And so there's this idea that, that man, I, I've got to submit to the Spirit that there's these steps that the Spirit wants me to take every single day in my life. And I'm going to keep in step with the Spirit. When he steps here, I'm going to follow that step. And so there's this idea of submitting to him and whatever the Spirit wants, whatever God wants for your life, you're saying yes to. You're just, you're just going to keep saying yes to God. So if God says, hey, this is what I want you to do. Yes. No, but, but God, you don't understand. It's yes. Submission means you keep saying yes to the Spirit. Now, now here's, here's what the question I, I, I have when I, when I read this passage, and maybe you feel this too. 
It says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, here's the question that pops in my mind. What does that look like? What does it look like? What does it look like to, to really keep in step with the Spirit? Now, what I have found in my own experience when I talk with Christians and when I read other Christians and other pastors, and, and it, I think there's two major tribes within Christianity that how they interpret this verse. The one tribe is, is they, they answer this in a very general way. So what they would say is, well, the Bible gives us everything that we should be doing, and so what the Spirit of God helps us to do is obey God's Word. And I would say amen to that. And then I think there's another tribe that looks at the Spirit of God more specifically and says, there's these moments throughout the day and, and that, you know, the Spirit of God works in my heart to, you know, tell that person something and, and you know, turn left here and go down this road and go to this house. And we're looking for this experiential thing, supernatural, that feels like, kind of like, whoa, like spirit kind of thing. And what I would say is both tribes, to both tribes, I would say, you know, do we need to be word-centered? Absolutely. Are there moments where the Spirit of God just invades our life and tells us to do something that's, you know, not necessarily written down in God's Word? It doesn't contradict God's Word, but it, it applies to God's Word? Yeah, absolutely. It's a both and. I think we've got to be very careful that we only live over here or we only live over there. That God wants us to do both. And, and I would just say this. The more you submit to what is general, what is already revealed and what is given, the more that you'll be able to hear the more specific things that the Spirit is telling you to do. And, and sometimes we want the, you know, the, the grand, magnificent things to happen. Like when we live over here, it's like, man, that's, it's just like these God moments. And I'm, I've had some of these God moments in my life. I'll, I want to share one, with, one of them with you just because I feel like it, it illustrates uh, something that I think maybe times we think of it when we're having these moments. But when I was at my old church about 10 years ago, I was sitting in the front row getting ready to preach. The last song was sung. And the Spirit of God told me to preach a different sermon. Because I want you to preach on Isaiah 40. And I said, um, I haven't studied Isaiah 40. He's like, I want you to preach in Isaiah 40. And I had that moment in my life, I'm like, I've never, this has never happened to me. And I remember getting up, turning in my Bible to Isaiah 40, and preaching a sermon that I can't, it's hard for me to describe what took place that morning. And afterwards, I had people come up to me and say, I've never heard you preach like that before. And I was like, I, I just, I can't take any credit. It was totally God. I mean, it was a God moment in my life that I just thank God for. Now, He's never asked me to do that since. He's never, it's never happened since that moment. And, and, and I, I share that story with you because I think a lot of times when we see you keeping in step with the Spirit, we want the magnificent. That's a magnificent story. I thank God for that story. But you know what I still have to do every single week? I still got to study. I'm not going to show up every Sunday morning and be like, well, God, you got to give me that word. When, when the Spirit of God invades our life to, do, to have those moments, I believe that we can have those special moments with the Holy Spirit when we already are obeying what he's already given to us. You know, when it says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. You know, we hear the stories of that magnificent moment and we're, and we're like, 
God, I want those, those incredible things. That, you know, you know, I remember reading this book one time, and the guy was like, God, the Holy Spirit was like telling this guy, go tell this person on this bench at the mall that, that God loves them. And he's like, okay. He went over, and the guy's like, oh, I was about to commit suicide, and God just, I mean, there's these moments that we want those kinds of experiences with the Holy Spirit. But, but let me just say this. We don't get those moments until we are saying, okay, I'm just going to actually obey and be kind to my spouse today. Or I'm going to forgive someone. Because keeping in step with the Spirit is a, a word-centered, Spirit-influenced experience. You know, you know, we have these banners around our room. Let us hear from you today, God, through your Spirit and through your Word. That's what we want. We want to hear from God. And, and that's a wonderful thing. But the question I want to ask you is this. When you hear from God in moments like this and more in services like this, do you say yes? When he tells you to do something, when he tells you, you need to apologize, when he tells you need to be bolder here, when he tells you to pray more, when he tells you to put away the game, when he tells you to stop watching X amount. When, when he's giving you the, the directions through his spirit and through his word to do it, do you say yes? Do you say yes? And, and, and if we're going to see the, the empowered spirit in our lives, to see the, the, the potential turn to the possible, turn to the reality, then it requires us to start saying yes. Not Yes, when I feel like it. Not yes, when the conditions are right. Yes, okay, I'll do it. And when we do, we will start seeing God's power in our life. If we want to live by the Spirit, we got to keep in step with the Spirit. That means saying yes over and over and over again. And that leads us to verse 26. And verse 26 is there's, a, there's the final shift. And again, you could have ended chapter 5 with verse 25. It would have been the perfect conclusion to Paul's treatise on the spirit in the flesh. But he adds this verse that I think is fascinating. And the last shift we've got to take is a shift in our hearts. And if you read this, it feels like it doesn't fit. Look what it says. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I mean, I, I don't get it, Paul. You're talking about, you know, if we, li- if we walk in the Spirit, we will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit. The, the works of the flesh are, look like this. The fruit of the Spirit looks like this, okay? And those who belong to Christ have put to death their flesh with its passions and desires. And if we're to live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. That all makes sense. Why is he end now saying, now don't be conceited? And don't, don't poke at each other and be envious of one another. What is he doing here? What he's doing here is brilliant. Because you and I both know that if we're to do this, we get to the end of verse 25 and say, okay, that's it. I want, I'm going to live by the Spirit. I'm going to keep in step with the Spirit. I want, God, I want you to produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I want you to transform me. I, don't, I no longer want to do the works of the flesh. I no longer want to satisfy the desires of the flesh. I want to walk by the Spirit of God. I want to love others. I want to love you. And you actually go out there and you leave here today and you actually go out there and you start living it. You start seeing the power in your life. You start seeing transformation happen. And you're seeing this, the fruit of the Spirit starting to pop up in your body and you're like, Woo, this is awesome. 
Here's what you need to remember. The, time, the, the moment that the Spirit of God starts bearing fruit in your life, the moment the Spirit of God starts changing your life, you know what your flesh does? Look at how well you're doing. I mean, this is pretty impressive. Does your spouse notice how great you are right now? You see, this Paul is brilliant because he knows that the moment we start living by the Spirit, and the moment we start actually obeying the Spirit and saying yes to the Spirit, we start growing and seeing change, is the moment that our flesh says, I want to take credit for that. The change, the transformation, the growth, the testimony, what will people think? And we start fixing our eyes on others as opposed to fixing our eyes on God. We start thinking about what others will think of us. And we start seeing our successes and the fruit as ours. It's no longer the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of Ben. And the moment we start doing it, the moment we start taking credit for the good things, that this, and the power that, the God is, that God is working in our lives, is the moment that the flesh starts taking over again. And we got to make sure that our hearts are ready you know, Paul does something really interesting in verses 25 and 26. Previously in the passage, he's speaking a lot of you, second person plural, you know, challenging them, making statements. In verses 25 and 26, look what the difference is in the pronouns. If we live by the Spirit, let us also, verse 26, let us not become conceited. Paul does something here. He includes himself in this instruction. Why is he doing this? He's, he, previously, in the, in the, it's all about you, 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 you. Make sure that you're doing this. And all of a sudden, he shifts in verses 25 and 26 and says, now let us. I believe Paul's doing this because he's letting them know something. Paul's humble enough and experienced enough to understand, I'm never beyond the temptation for pride. I've got to watch my heart. I've got to watch that I could, I could be used by God to do all these amazing things. But at the end of the day, when I, when I start seeing God work, I want to start taking credit for it. Back to that sermon I preached about 10 years ago. I remember afterwards, some people that have known me for years you know, they tell me, like, that's one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard. And, and I mean, they're just telling me, they're, they're t- and I'm just like, I mean, praise God for this. And then God in his goodness, God in his wonder, that day, the guy who was recording the sermon said, it didn't record. The sermon didn't record. You know, after people are telling me this is the greatest sermon they've ever heard, you want to be like, well, how we got to hear this sermon? And the flesh starts creeping in to say, man, what, what was it? And I, I, I'm so thankful to God that he, he, he allowed that moment to happen, but he allowed me to fade in the distance. And that's, that's what God wants us to remember. That's what Paul wants us to remember. That when we start following the Spirit, may we never, ever, ever start taking credit for ourselves. He, he says some other things, you know, don't let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying not one another. 
And the other flip side of that is when we are walking in the Spirit, we can become conceited, but there's another thing we can do is we can look at other people who are walking in the Spirit who might seem more spiritual than us, who are further along in their spiritual walk and be like, oh, I just can't stand them. That word provoking literally means to poke at them, to call them out. That when we see someone actually living the way that they should be living, in order for us to feel better about ourselves, we try to tear down people. And this is what I've seen this happen in so often in within churches. Many times churches are like unions. Okay? And what I mean by that is this most churches have a culture that says, hey, we're all gonna just agree here, unspoken, that there's gonna be a certain level of spiritual maturity that we're all gonna agree to that, like, let's love God this much. And if you step out of line and start loving God more than the rest of us and making the rest of us look bad before God, we're tearing you down. You know, I remember talking to someone who worked at, within unions, and it's like they did something, you know, they swept a floor one time that they were not supposed to sweep because the floor needed to be sweeping. Like, hey, don't do more than your job. That's what I mean. That there's an understanding of, like, let's just all kind of make, you know, exist in this level of spirituality. It's a very dangerous thing that we've got to ask ourselves, do I have a heart that when I see someone actually walking in the Spirit, producing for the Spirit, what does that produce inside of me? Does my pride all of a sudden want to attack them? Or am I, am I giving glory to God for what he's doing in their life? See, pride is the, the slimiest, stinkiest work of the flesh that comes out, and it comes out in the most you know, sneaky ways. That when the Spirit of God begins working in our lives, when the Spirit of God begins working in this church, when the Spirit of God begins working in you and in your family and in your children, how do you respond? Do you attack? Do you take credit? These are all things we've got to be aware of. And as we see every success and every victory and every chance of overcoming in our lives, we can look back and say, that was God, that was God, that was God. Praise him. Praise God for the changes I've made. Because the moment we start taking credit for these things is the moment the Spirit of God says, okay, if that's the way you want it, we'll just let you go down that road for a little bit. So you can see once again how much you need me. That's what the Spirit of God does. So these three shifts, a shift in our mind, a shift in our will, and a shift in our hearts, which leads us to these three questions. I want to end with this. Number one, what, number one, what needs a shift in your thinking? What needs a shift in your thinking? What is it that's going on when you look at your sin, when you think about that one thing, that one sin, that one problem in your life that you say, this has been here for years? What do you think? What do you feel? Do you feel defeated? Do you feel fearful? Or do you believe that God has given you the opportunity because you have crucified the flesh, you, have, you now have power over the flesh? What's the shift in your thinking that you've got to make this morning towards sin, towards flesh, towards the, towards the gospel? Number two, second question is this. What do you need to say yes to today? What do you need to say yes to today? If we're going to keep in step with the Spirit, if there's some marching orders that the Spirit of God is telling you, and it might be different for you than it is for me, but there's something that the Spirit of God, I have to believe this, if you're in here this morning, that, that God has something before you that he wants you to say yes to. What is it? And it's only the Spirit of God that can tell you. 
And it's your choice of whether or not you're going to say yes. And I mean yes immediately or, you know, maybe later. Maybe when I feel, no, no, it's yes. Yes, God, I'll obey. I'll keep in step with you today. What is that one thing for you? And number three, where do you see pride and conceit creeping in? Where do you see pride and conceit creeping in? Even, even you might be sitting here and, and you're, the last few weeks as, we, as we've been studying gospel transformation in the book of Galatians, you know, you might be sitting there and, and, and for the, a lot of the feelings you might have are rejoicing. They might be gratitude of, man, I'm, no, I'm not the person I was a year ago. I'm not the person I was five years ago. God's done a work in my life. Praise God for that. Let's remember to keep giving him the glory. Don't let pride Stop, don't look down on others. Don't tear down others. So let's keep fixing our eyes on Jesus.